dark side. Light this bitch up. What's up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. It is Plymouth Brethren Week ongoing here on Blackballed, and we have a very interesting guest here tonight. He's an ex-member. He's actually from South Africa, and we are going to play one of the greatest videos of all. Like, if, if America's Funniest Home Videos had a Brethren version, <laughs> this video would win. I guarantee it. Um, he comes, he comes at us today, I believe from Thailand and his name is Rowan Scott. Rowan, how are you, buddy? Ah, good. Thank you. How are you, James? I'm doing well. First of all, let me ask you a question. Um, you are from, uh, South Africa and you grew up in the brethren. I, I, my very first question, um, even though normally my, my questions are usually, uh, and I'll get there uh, about what your childhood was like and everything inside the brethren. But I'm just curious because I know that the brethren aren't really fond of people who aren't white. And I was just kind of curious what apartheid and the brethren did they did they end up leaving after apartheid was over? How did that work? Um, yeah, it was after apartheid ended that um, the brethren left. But my experiences, um, I kind of really didn't know anything about it until I was maybe about 10 or so. I started realizing there was something funny, like you know, like hearing slurs against people, like like jokes about knocking people over and that. And, well, right. Hang on. <laughs> and so you you grew up in in a, in a locality in Cape Town, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was your and how long was it before you ended up leaving? I think you went to Vancouver, but but what was your childhood like in Cape Town? Um, so, so I, I think like a happy childhood, although with an undertone of um, like a them and us kind of undertone. Like when I would go to school every day, my, my mother would say to me, oh, remember who you are and where you come from. Yeah. You know, like as if you're not one of them. Yeah. Um, do, do you get to a certain age where you're kind of like, where there's a, like an instinct inside of you where where something isn't quite right or, or are you just end up waving palms for the brethren? Like how to, I mean, just for you personally, because I've heard many different stories and, and how people sometimes have, you know, like an instinct or an inkling that, you know, that what, what's going on isn't, isn't normal. But uh, curious as to how old you were when you kind of started to figure that out. But we, I mean, I don't want to jump around too much, but, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so as a kid, I would say I was more just confused, like things didn't really make sense, so I didn't understand. But it was only later on, around the, around the time of the Iraq war, that is when I started to really think, hey, this is, this is something drastically wrong here. Is that the first because Iraq war or the second one? The second. The second. So after the September 11 attacks. Right. And when, when George Bush invaded. Um, so, like, Brethren really supported George Bush going into Iraq. Right. Um, and I did, yeah, that's, uh, that didn't sit well with me at all. I think that's when I really started to 
think, well, you know, if all this collateral damage is okay, well, fine, I'll also do collateral damage for the brethren. Um, how old were you when you left Cape Town and you went to Vancouver? Uh, uh, no, no, so um, when, I left, when I immigrated from Cape Town, I went to Australia. Oh, you uh, okay, went to sorry. For a visit. Okay, so, um, so I was 32 when I left. 32. When you when you yeah. when you left Cape Town to Australia, yep. Okay, and then how long? And then you were in Australia for uh, until a year ago. Until a year ago. Okay. Why did I think yeah. you went to Vancouver? I don't know why I thought that. Oh no, no. So I did. I, me- I mentioned that in in the Get a Life podcast. Um, so after I had done my army service, which was compulsory in South Africa, mm-hmm. um, like still in the Brethren, then. I went over for a, you know, like an arranged meeting trip overseas. And that was to Vancouver. Okay. Okay. So now give me, um, so then you're an adult. Now we jumped around, so I'm, I'm a little confused now where you are. So you went to Cape, from Cape Town to Australia. You're still in the Brethren at this point. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how, um, what, maybe I'll ask this. What is the difference, if any, between a locality in Cape Town and, a, and, a, and one in Australia? Like, did you notice any cultural difference? Yeah, yeah, definitely there was a cultural difference. Um, not really major. Like, like um, the, the, the core tenets and beliefs are the same because you, you know, you're reading the same white book ministry and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, yeah, there was just like a slight difference interpretation perhaps of what was okay and what wasn't okay and at that point what year is it when you when you're in when you first get to australia 1999 1999 okay so is john hales then still leader yeah. at that point yeah yeah and did you have dealings with john uh, no. no apart from a brief conversation with my dad and brother once in Cape Town, just like outside the meeting room, right? Just about our business. That was all. Is there was there a distinct difference between John and Bruce? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. In my, in my mind, yeah. they completely different. What is it? Well, I mean, there are similarities too, obviously, but yeah, no, it was like a very much different regime. Can you give me an exa- like an example of how they differentiated from each other? Well, like um, John Hales liked to you know things to be a bit humble. He had a smaller house and you know, a nice but modest house. Yeah, with the with the Bruce when Bruce Hales came in, like it was all money, money, money. It was a big thing, like get a big house, have a, all the best it's things. Big, it's it's kind of a weird thing to 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 because. You know, I, I associate Christianity, like the good kind of Christianity, uh, with, you know, kind of like humility and charitable work and things like that. You never really, unless it's a televangelist or Scientology, you never really hear, um, you know, a, a spiritual leader preach about making money. Was there, was there, yeah, was there a reaction inside the Brethren when that switch happened, when Bruce Hales became leader, where people were like, well, what's all this, like, you know, um, monetary focus? Like, were, were there were there people sort of asking each other questions like that, or at least were you asking that kind of questions to yourself? 
Yeah, I, I certainly was to myself. I think there was, it wasn't really openly discussed that I recall, um, but I, I definitely do feel people were um, taken aback by what was going on, especially like older ones. Like, you know, your, your whole life's been one thing and now suddenly it's something else. Are there people using power tools outside your house? <laughs> no. Okay. I can hear a saw. I don't know where that's coming from, but I can hear a saw. Uh, sorry. No, it's all good. Okay. So um, you got married when you were in Australia? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Married in Cape Town. Um, married in Cape Town. Do you have kids? Yeah, five. Yeah. I have four kids in Cape Town, one in Australia. Okay, let's fast forward to around the time when you left and give me the build-up to that because from what I recall from the Get a Life podcast, you actually had a, um, it wasn't just a, a something that, um, that, that you know, came on spur of the moment. There was kind of a gradual incremental process where you eventually then left. Is that right? Yeah. Can you give me an idea of that and, and just sort of give me like the play-by-play of, of how many years that took from like your first kind of, inkling until when you actually left i'd say it was about 10 years um like, like, like i gradually uh like it was sort of questioning things like, like it didn't seem right yeah and then uh, perhaps one of the one of the big um nails in the coffin or rungs of the ladder maybe is a better terminology was was um when john hale's was reported to have said things didn't turn out in South Africa like he thought they would. What does that mean? Well, I had pinned everything on him being right, but like my opinion was second place to his opinion. Right. And why, if he can be wrong, why should I be? Um, what, what What did that mean though? Things didn't turn out in South Africa quite like he, uh, he oh, oh, well, he, like he thought this was going to be all, um, you know, sort of painted a very rosy picture of everything ahead after the end of apartheid. apartheid. Right. So when, like when there was a government change in South Africa, um, for those living there, though, we could see, okay, this is not going to be all roses. This is going to be a hard slog for generations ahead. Do you think it was worth it though? Like, I mean, like you're. Oh, oh absolutely, yeah. 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 Totally. yeah okay. Right okay. Just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> just just um, Yeah. No. It, it, my point. My only point is that um, he. I, I believe he was naive in the whole situation. Like he was. He came to South Africa, speaking about how things are going to turn out and everything was great. And I was I, like, I, mm, I, okay, I guess I'm a little. Not... I guess I'm a little surprised that the, the brethren weren't really pro apartheid, you know, like that. I'm surprised that they weren't like really upset that apartheid ended. Am I oh, ignorant no. about this or is this? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, what did you say last? I, I was just wondering if I if, if I feel like I'm naive or something, because it just seems to me that like it, it fits more within brethren thinking to really support apartheid. Yeah, no, so, so I don't recall apartheid ever being supported in the brethren or maybe like in the early days but not not when it became a, like a parent to like in the world view like not in the say the five years before apartheid ended i think all the brethren were okay supportive okay. of it ending, at least around where i was 
So you're in Australia, um, and then there's that 10-year sort of incremental decision that you eventually made, or I, I don't know if you were forced out, but can, take me along those 10 years and give me some highlights as to what happened to sort of chip away at your ability to be able to actually want to stay inside the Brethren. So, so you're making the decision to leave. So what are some of those highlights during that decade? Um so realizing that not all the brethren, what, not what, like what the brethren have been teaching me or, and what my parents have been teaching me is not true. Not that they're particularly lying to me, it's just that they deceive themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and then we're, okay, then what is true? Like going all the way back until like, like I, I don't, I don't believe in God anymore either. So I'm, yeah, I'm totally atheist. I believe in one less God than most people. Yes, um, that's a very good Ricky Gervais joke. I love that one, and I support anyone recycling it because it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and then I think that, like, like, I found that very liberating to my mind. Like, okay, I can just view things pragmatically. Um, and, and then the things that bothered me about the culture within the Brethren, like, it became clear, like, what's wrong about that, too. Um, like, you know, the drinking culture and the um, driving fast, like breaking the speed limit, driving dangerously culture. Yeah, it's like um, a frat house. All those things kind of on me. It feels like a frat house. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. Um, did you, is the drinking like, uh, you know, if, if you decided that you weren't going to grab a cup of scotch, are, do people like bug you? Like, is there peer pressure among the brethren yeah, for yeah, other people is, to drink? There is peer pressure. Um, not ex- not extreme, but there are definitely are cases of it. Um, and some cases are extreme. Like, I, um, I remember hearing this story from uh, a guy, like a close, a mate of mine in the brethren in Tamworth, in Australia. He had gone to some, he had been like the, in the house with Bruce Hales at some three day meetings. And there's a, another brethren guy there from UK whose son had died from alcoholism and he was a teetotaler, so he like he wouldn't touch grog. And the report, what, like what I, I heard, what this guy said, Bruce Hells made him have a, have a drink. Even though his son had died from alcoholism? His son died from alcoholism. He, he was a teetotaler, like he didn't touch, he didn't touch the stuff yeah, and he was, he was forced to. That's, that's wow. the story. Wow, what a sweetie Bruce is. Okay, anyway, it, yeah, so at, at, at that stage, I was really like, you know, this is so fucking wrong. <laughs> what what year is this? Ooh. What year are we in? Gosh, this would be like uh, 20, 2008, I suppose. Okay. Let's fast, let's fast forward to 2010 with your face-to-face meeting with Bruce Hales. Tell me about that. Yeah, okay. So, so I got a phone call one, one evening. Uh, my daughter answered the phone and she came and said, oh, hey, no, no, this is Bruce Hales on the phone. Oh, okay, cool. But, so um, I said, oh, okay, how you going? Like, by that stage, I would, had no interest in the brethren. I mean, no, like I wasn't scared of this guy. Yeah. Um, and he said, oh, you got a letter from my then wife. So I said, oh, okay, cool. I knew nothing about him. This is first time here. Um, and he wants me to come and see him. So I said, okay, cool. When do you want me to come see you? Um, so he said, I must ring up his secretary and make an appointment. 
in, the, in a couple of weeks because he was going to be away for a couple of weeks on some business conference stuff. So um, I had a few guys ringing his secretary. It was bloody hard to get a, an appointment. Mm -hmm. And I finally got one so about two weeks later and uh, drove down there to his business premises in Sydney, about a five-hour drive from where I was. And then waited about, oh, I must have waited about an hour, I reckon. It was late. Um, then he rocked up, called me in, and asked. Uh, so it was just me and him in his office. Yeah. He, he closed the door, locked it. Um, and then he asked me what I'd come to see him for. <laughs> so I said, well, uh, you called me to come see you. So, so he so, drunk oh, dialed. He, he drunk there. dialed. He drunk dialed you. I guess. So so he, he didn't know why you were there, and then uh, you told him, and then and then what happened? Yeah. So I, so I, I said, my wife read your letter. So I said, oh, okay, good. Okay. Um, you got a copy of the letter. So I said, no, she sent it to you. <laughs> wow. Uh, he was oh, just fucking disorganized and then he like he started rummaging through papers like as if he's going to find it on his desk i was like there's no hope you're going to find it mate <laughs> so we just we just had a chat and all sorts of things for i don't know 45 minutes or so what was the chat like i'm curious because uh, there's, it's really rare to have a guest that actually has had a face-to-face -face with bruce i think yeah. you're the third you're the, you, might, you might be the third one now i think out of the 40 yeah, people that i've interviewed you're the third <laughs> you know yes um so it was, it was quite disjointed, quite a bit about the, the school in Tamworth, like they had a lot of problems with the school there, the, the Brethren School. Um, and then, then it got kind of weird because he, he called someone to bring some water in and this, this young guy came in carrying a tray of water and he was like shaking. And then, yeah, I was like, I hope it's not me, he's scared of it like that. Like, and um, then after he'd gone out, he started telling me all about this young guy's history, you know, and he's trying to give him a job because he would go out of fellowship and oh, I don't know what would happen to him. And I was like, gee, I don't really want to know all the <laughs> confidential details of this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's an interesting cat, that guy. Okay. Um, Tell me about when it, it, the video that I have. I'm not going to play it yet, but the video that I have is long after you left, or or just oh, after yeah. you left. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, no, take back. So what, ten years after. Okay, so give me uh, give me the uh, the story of when you left, how that went down, and then um, because obviously uh, I'd like to talk to you about you know about uh, the the doctrine of separation and, and how that impacted you and the way that you were able to see your family and things like that. So, so how did the, um, the end of you being in the brethren happen? Hey, give me some of the fallout and blowback from that. Yeah. So, so um, I couldn't actually bring myself to leave because like I had a wife and five kids there still, um, but neither could, neither could I actually, um, Keep living the lie. So, so I, I thought of all sorts of ways to try and handle the situation. Like um, one thing was, I wanted to. Like I thought maybe if I joined the navy because because yeah. like the, the brethren speak like they're very pro-military. 
So I thought, okay, if I join an Navy, hey, I'm out, like I've got to go somewhere. Yeah. And plus, it's not a complete bad thing for the kids because the brethren are so pro-military. So like they've got you know, a bit of a positive. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't do that. Um, I thought of self-medicating with alcohol, which I did for a little bit. Um, and that wasn't the solution. Uh, were you so able, I just stopped. Sorry, were sorry. you able to discuss it with your wife? Because no. she had already mailed a letter to Bruce. Do you, did you ever find out what was in that letter? No. No, no idea. <laughs> I, I said to, um, well, like Bruce Howells asked me, sorry, we're jumping around there, but Bruce Howells asked me what I think might be in the letter. So I said, oh, I said, man, maybe I've got my own personal computer. Maybe it's because I don't go to meeting. Oh, you just ratted <laughs> yourself out. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't confessing. I was just listing off all the things that might have been. <laughs> was there a part of you that thought maybe he was bluffing you and he knew it was in the letter? Yeah, well, I did wonder that, um, but it's, I don't think so. Okay. So big, what, yeah. what year did you leave and what, what and give me that story. What was that like? Because I know that it, it's always a really painful thing, especially saying your goodbyes and things like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I, so, um, my wife came to like, well, like you, you're saying I could have discussed it. No, I couldn't So anything I said, even in the closed doors of the bedroom, I came back to me from priests. So there's no one at all. I could discuss things with, um, until I formed an online friendship, then I could have a bit of an outlet there. But so my wife decided like things in the house were untenable and she left, she left the house and the kids also left. Hmm. And then they, then the brethren confined me, which was the first step to withdrawing from me completely. And so, when, so and then when did you leave then after that? Like, like, was it immediate or? That was, yeah, that was immediate. So, so, and, in 2011, um, my whole family left the house. I stayed in the family home. Yeah. Um, I got kicked out of my job, or made redundant. Yeah. Um, yeah, and got confined. So that is it. And then it's only like a few months that I was withdrawn from. Like that was inconsequential where the confined or withdrawn from. That was like a, a line in the sand. And that, have you that, seen that, your that children that since then? Um, my youngest daughter came for a few visits, maybe three or four, like in the months after, but then nothing. How old was she? I bumped into them in the shops once, once or twice. How old's your youngest daughter? At the, how old was she at the time when she visited? Seven. Seven. See, yeah. this is sort of, this is, I want to pause there for a second, because this is, um, this to me is, is sort of my main motivation for even talking about this and, and having you guys on the show is that you know as a dad who is not in a cult and is dealing with seeing my kids less i'm going through hell i could not even imagine what it would be like to have you know a handful of kids that not only you weren't allowed to see but that you know that you know that where they are in a mindset brainwashed essentially to withdraw from their own dad mm. Um, and, and basically never see him again, you know, like your daughter visiting you two or three times. That is the, to me, and maybe you can fill me in and, and tell me if I'm correct. But to me, that is that, that sort of like, if you could crystallize that idea for a second, this young girl wants to see her daddy. Like, you yeah. know, that, that she, 
that's probably why it was the youngest that came to visit you because she's the most innocent she's the most pure right like she she doesn't probably yeah. understand too much about why she can't see her daddy i'm sure she does eventually or did eventually but i mean what were those meetings like with you and her and and was she was she sort of uh, parroting brethren doctrine like daddy um we're not allowed to see you anymore you need to like or or was it was she asking questions like how was that with her those visits no it, um it's quite it's kind of strange really she, she wasn't parroting stuff or trying to convert me or anything like that i think she was too young for that i think she, she was more like uh, felt like she's trying to just sort it out in her mind like it was a huge shock for her obviously like yeah. she wants to be both places um but like when she when she came to visit me like she wanted to go shopping and you know maybe buy a necklace or something that she was not supposed to have yeah and that'd be like a little bit worldly and that so so and that was about 10 years ago you said right did you move away from the locality or did you stay for a while i stayed for i stayed for a while um so so like when the when the legal separation marriage separation happened then my then wife got the house back yeah and i did buy my own house um and then, then I, I got a, a job offer to work for an australian company but in a factory in china um, so I went. I did that for two years, which was a really great experience. A great experience, but that's when you're 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 basically grieving during those two years. Yeah, yeah, but well, enough time, like, a, like enough time had elapsed. Like I'd stopped getting any visits or pretty much any contact whatsoever. Anyway, so it was, it was actually good to get away. I thought, look, go see something else, do something else. Do you miss your kids? Yeah, <laughs> like it's, um, I, I, I still get like weird dreams at night occasionally, like, you know, they're there in my dreams. Yeah. Um, but I, so those first, those first months after I was excommunicated, like after that break happened, um, I was really there, like I was really smashed me completely. Um, but I had, like, I had strategies in place. Like, like I knew it's the crunch was going to come. And my plan one was uh, don't touch alcohol, just stop it completely. Well done. Because that, because that is going to, I, I could just see that's going to be in my downfall. Yeah. Um, so, so that was, and then the, the next thing was um, don't fight grief, just like let the grief happen. Hmm. So I, I think that paid off because when you get those feelings later on, like, like if I get them even now, um, I can say, like, I've been there, I've gone through that. I don't have to visit that again. Do you think you'll ever see your kids again? I've got no idea. Uh, so, so, like, I think, I think kind of not. Yeah. But you never know. Like, it only takes one leadership change. There's typically quite a lot of unrest, like, unsettlement when a leadership changes. So, who knows? Maybe they all get out. Maybe none of them do. <laughs> See, I would be, uh, uh, I'll, I'll actually, I'll speak in generalities. I feel like one day a murder is going to happen and someone's going to kill the leader of this cult because they're going to be missing their kids to the point where they're just like, fuck it. You know, mm -hmm. like, like, I'm surprised that 
there hasn't been an attempt on his life. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying anyone should go out there and yeah. murder anybody. But when you mess with a man's family, you know, there has to be, like, eventually that, that's got to run out. Like, I mean, I, I, I know they've existed for, yeah. what, like 200 years or whatever it is. But, you know, this is, um, and I know that it, it makes it harder on the family if you start making noise. I know that even being on uh, on podcasts, you know, uh, some members are a little bit um, hesitant because they don't want any blowback to happen to their family that are inside. Are you aware of any such blowback happening to your family based on the, your actions since you've been out? I, I haven't heard of it, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. So, like, I know before that run-in with the, with the, the video with, with um, Gareth Bales, like I guess occasionally if I texted one of my family, they would reply, but like a very brief reply. Yeah. Right? Not long. But let's it, get to the video. Yeah. Let's get let's get to the video because uh, I, I think I played this when Lance uh, was on Lance Christie. But um, what are we about to see in this video, and who who who's in it? Uh, so um, Gareth Hales and Lance Christie. And my feet loving. <laughs> and what was the per? You wanted to um, create a video message to send to Bruce. Was that it? Uh, no, I was just going as the cameraman for Lance. So. Oh, okay. I and actually, then- I actually suggested to them get the get a press photographer to go do it. I think they yeah. do a better job. Well, I'm kind of glad he. I'm kind of glad he didn't. You know. <laughs> Because we wouldn't be able to watch this entertaining piece of footage. Oh, you so might have had is, a more entertaining one. <laughs> here is Rowan Scott with Lance Christie and a irate Gareth Hales, who is the son of Bruce, Bruce Hales. And and I guess this is outside the Hales home in in Australia. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Is it Ottawa? This? No, no, no. Like group hug. Will you please leave us alone? Don't, don't film. Don't film. We've been told that we've got a right to win. <laughs> Don't do this. Stop. Put that down. Put that down. Put that. You're killing to put that down there. Stop that. Put that down, punch right. Put that down, buddy. No one. Put that down. I'm not, but put that down. Put that down, buddy. Turn that phone off. I'll talk to you. Turn that phone off. Let me go. Turn that phone off. I cannot while you're holding me. What? You are not taking it. Let's be good. First of all, I'm from North America. That's the most gentlemanly, like, skirmish I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> turn, the, turn the phone off, please. Oh, I can't, I can't touch the button. It's, it's in my mind. I need, oh, please turn it off. Like, it didn't, didn't feel like it was all violent. But why is he so angry? Why was Gareth Hales the uh, the apparent heir apparent to Bruce Hales? Why why was he so angry? And I'd say, I'd say I mean well, he should answer that question for himself. But yeah, but I'd say I was the catalyst in that. Um, I turned on the camera because that's what I've come there to do. Uh, so so the bit of the backstory there was um, I'd come straight off. I spent all day working on on that boat. Um, we had a sailboat that we lived on, mm-hmm. um, and miss are going to sell it. So I'd spend all day cleaning up the boat and getting off the boat, and then come straight out to to bring Lance 
yeah, to do the video. Yeah. Um, so all I was interested in was getting this job done, taking the video and getting back home to dinner. Okay. So, <laughs> so like when, uh, Lance and Gareth, like Gareth came out of the house, I, I was on the opposite side of the street initially. Uh-huh. And, and Lance was looking around outside the house and then Gareth came along. I saw the guy, I wouldn't have known it's Gareth. Like, oh, don't give a shit about him. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Lance called me and said, hey, Rowan, this is Gareth. Yeah, come in there. Wanted to go, Gareth wanted us to go down the street away from the house to go have a chat. So I said, no, I'll come out to take the video and it's running. Yeah. Is, how big is Gareth and how big are you? Like, was there a size difference between the two of you? Yeah, oh, he's, he's way bigger than me and I'm yeah. a pushing nerd and it looks like he works out like he's pretty, he's pretty strong. Um, but he, he was, so what was happening there, he was trying to get the phone. He was made, made lunch for the phone and it was Lance's phone. There's no bloody way I'm going to let him get that. Yeah. So, so he's yeah, Lance, Lance he's, would never let you live that down. If I know Lance Christie even a little bit, you know. Oh, sure. yeah. yeah, I would have been a drama, I think. I wouldn't know what's on that phone. Mind you, it was a brand new phone, so it probably wouldn't have been that bad. Um, and did you, was there any blowback from that video? Like, did you, did you hear about any reaction from the Hales camp or from the Brethren itself? I, like, I heard a few stories, because I had, I had a few contacts from, like, inside the Brethren. Um, I, heard, I heard some weird stories. Like, one story was that Lance had bought a house opposite Bruce Hales's and I was living there and all sorts of weird, weird shit. <laughs> it probably would have been a nice house from what I understand, you know? Oh, no, that, the other houses are quite modest, really. Like, yeah. you go down that street, the, the, there's two houses there that stand up, like dogs balls. Really? Um, yeah, Bruce Hales's and Gareth Hales's. Like, <laughs> like, you know what's funny? Like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it's because I come from a dysfunctional family, but... Anytime, like, a father and son own houses on the same street, they're probably douchebags, you know? <laughs> Cut the cord already, Gareth. You know what I mean? Um, listen, let me ask you about uh, what the process was like to feel normal again once you left and you were ostracized from your kids. Like, how, are you, how were you doing at that time, and, and how did you sort of repair yourself? Yeah, well, I think I think just facing that grief first up, um, and allowing that, like allowing myself to feel that that was enough. Like, like I mean, what I can't just be torn down for the rest of my life. Like, I got to get up and go. Um. So, I don't know what's what's normal. <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. Be completely normal. But... Yeah. Um. And you are you remarried now? Yes. You are remarried. Okay. So yeah, and, and um, I didn't actually even bother telling my family. Like, no, I... no, they didn't tell me when my father passed away. They probably don't want to hear that I'm married to. Why? Oh, oh so if, like, if I'm remarried, then that's another, like, what do I do now? Like, because they don't, they don't allow, um, divorce in the brethren or typically they don't like under special conditions maybe they do so um, they would they would hold it even though they ostracized you from your children and your wife 
they would still thumb their nose at you for then getting on with your life? Well, well, well just so when they withdraw from somebody, they're usually hoping that person's going to come back. They call it assembly discipline, like you're only in the dog box. Oh. You're gonna, so it's a manipulation like, tool. It's a manipulation yeah. so tool. So once you marry to someone you. else, well, no, how does that work? Because you can't, you can't come back and there's your ex-wife and has your new wife. And, you know, if you could, that wouldn't be that bad of a deal, Ron. <laughs> no thanks <laughs> I'm just saying yeah. um, listen I, 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 as I tell every ex-member who comes on the show I, I, I feel for you but I'm really proud of you as well because you seem to um, be getting on with your life I'm really sorry that it happened to you I wouldn't know what I would do and I cannot even imagine what it would be like to just never see my children again or, or to have mm. a relative uh, pass away and not know about it I, I, I find that you know, this organization is, is just super abusive, manipulative, thieves. Like, they're all of these things. And the things that they steal isn't just, like, money at those monthly meetings. Um, but they steal, you know, pieces of your family tree. Like, they they, they, feed, mm. they steal the relationship that you should be having right now with your kids. Yeah, you know? that's right. And, and uh, you know, I'm sorry that you went through that. Yeah, I appreciate that. But like on the on the other hand, like like if you take it from the situation where it was like that I was born in the brethren and I was in there, I'm heck of a glad that I'm out now. Like Yeah. No, absolutely. That's, that's, that that's a that's sure. a, probably better to never be in in the first place. Yeah. If you, no. have, if you have been in, you're better better out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I hope uh you know, I, I hope I hope the rest of your family gets out one day. I mean I I know it's rare. Oh, that'd be that. awesome. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, I really think that you deserve to see your children again. And, um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I hope that for you. Um, Rowan Scott, thank you very much for joining us today on Blackboard. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Have a good night, sir. Good night. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to get used to those stories, you know. And, and we've, we've heard them time and time again. Literally every single ex-member that I've had on this show has a story about never seeing the people in their life, in their family that are important to them. And I, I don't know what I do. I think I would kidnap my kids. <laughs> I really do. If, if my, especially if they had the same mom, I would totally kidnap them. But um, like, you know, if, if I was excommunicated and my kids were in a still loca, like if my, da- my seven, my daughter's six, if my daughter came to visit me after I was excommunicated, my wife and my other kids would never see that daughter again. I would just leave. I would get on a plane. I would come to Canada and I'd wear a fake mustache for the rest of my life so they wouldn't get their grubby hands on my daughter. Um, but, you know, and I understand why, why, why they don't do that. I'm not as smart and probably not as measured as, uh, as many of these ex-members are. I wouldn't think about things like blowback. I would just take my children and leave. And, uh, and, and I'm sure that would be a mistake. I'm certainly not saying that Rowan or anyone else did anything wrong by not doing that. I'm just trying to sort of convey the emotion that, um, that I would feel. And certainly what, what every mom or dad would feel if they were in Rowan's position. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, it bothers me like you wouldn't even believe. Okay. Um, tomorrow on Blackballed, we have Bradley McCallum. Bradley also has, uh, well, actually, his, his story is really unique. There was uh, an incident in the Brethren. I think it's called the Aberdeen incident. Maybe Cheryl can correct me if I'm wrong. 
Um, but where the leader, Jim Taylor, was uh, was caught in bed with, uh, I believe, another woman. And it became this real big incident. And uh, a bunch of, I think there was like an exodus of lots and lots of people from the Brethren. It was like one of their crises, crises that they had um, because of the behavior of the leader. Um, so Bradley McCallum is on tomorrow. We're going to have another one or two Brethren episodes as well on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. I'm just sort of finalizing those right now. So thank you, everybody, uh, for joining me. Thank you again to Roan Scott, and we will see you next time on Black Ball. Black the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.